I, uh, <clears throat> I want to pray for us quickly because um, I've got way more of a word than I have time to give, and so just be led of the Lord here. And it's probably going to open up something for myself as far as, you know, continuing on later. But um, I, I spent spending some time with the Lord this week, and I just had a little visitation. Fairly simple, but fairly profound. And um, it reminded me of some things, and so I'll tell you a little bit about that. And um, so let's, I just want to, I want to pray for me. I want to pray I don't suck and I can actually bring this clear, but that you guys have ears to hear. Um, so, Father, I just thank you for your word, what you've done in the past, what you want to do in the future. We invite you to be God here tonight, to lead by your spirit. God, let everything of man fall away. We want you. We want the real you. We want all of you. So come and visit us tonight and do something to our hearts that will allow more of you. And make a way for you. In Jesus' name. Awesome. <clears throat> yeah. Hmm. That's, and that's not opening up. This is not connected, right? Because we don't have that now. This is not connected. Correct? Correct? Right? But I can't even open it here. So uh, to see it. Um, what I'm going to end up doing, I'm going to read some stuff to you. But before I do, um, yeah, I had a visitation from the Lord, uh, I don't know, Wednesday morning or something. And um, maybe Tuesday. And yes, I did take a, a week off just from stuff, sort of. Um, and uh, wasn't in the office. And I'm kind of winding down from uh, the most crazy two and a half years of, of our life. Okay, so that's kind of, I'm not going to say caught up to me, but it's like, Lord, say, okay, slow down and just, uh, like, so when you are wound up and you are going, sometimes it's hard, though, to stop, you know, so uh, just been slowing down. But at the same time, I wasn't really that smart. And I lifted a lot of heavy stuff this week. And now, like, my, my like, I'm like, I'm, yeah, I really am. I actually I am, so my, oh. And uh, I think the heavy, I, I think yesterday I, I squatted, the heaviest I've squatted in 15 years. Like, why? Like, why? Why? I'm 51 years old. I don't need to, you know. Yeah, I think it was about my personal best ever. I think I don't know, three hundred thirty pounds for ten or something. And around on number five, I felt pop on my knee, but I just kept going because I'm tough. But so tonight, I'm just like just just spaghetti, and I lifted heavy bumpers and stuff, and oh, and but anyway, so I was having. But that is kind of relaxing for me, though, too. So it's, it's just like, yeah. <sighs> but I, I was spending time with the Lord, and, um, and I felt him say, you are now going to focus on revival. Like, well, what was I doing before? But it's like, um, 
but but I'm going to tie this together, some of it tonight, and um, I want to tell you a little, little, a little, just a bit about Heather Mine's journey of getting here too, tying in this, because it has to do with what the Lord spoke to me and where this whole thing is going. I feel for us and for our ministry and all of us together on the crazy train. Okay, so. Uh, <clears throat> It was in 96, 97, 97, so 23 years ago. And uh, the kids, uh, no, it was, yeah, they were just born. They were just born. And um, I, um, the Lord spoke to me, okay, I'm calling you out of Abbotsford, like, but why? We had our... We had a cool house there. Kids are, you know, just brand new born twins. And, I, and the Lord says, I'm calling you out. So I'm like, oh, cool. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go move to where there's uh, a big church, big revival, or, you know, where I can lead worship. And, you know, uh, wasn't even really thinking revival. I just wanted to go somewhere uh, where it's hopping, make a bunch of money, go to a big church. And, and that's just what I wanted. And I'm just like, that's what I'm going to do. Alberta was booming at the time, and I'm like, I'm moving to Alberta. And um, I want, yeah, anyway, so, um, and then the Lord convicted me through, um, through just a visitation, just through his word, and I was reading his word, and, uh, and it says in the book of James, do not say next year or this or later or next year I will go do this and that. This is the half-brother of Jesus actually says, and James says, don't say that. That's actually sin. Um, instead, you should rather say, if it is the Lord's will, I will go do this and that. And I was convicted. I repented. I said, Lord, I am sorry. He go, I, said, I, I said, I'll go where you send me. He goes, good. Because where I'm sending you, I'm bringing revival. I'm like, oh, that's, this is great. I, I was, you know, uh, he didn't say, he didn't necessarily, I'm going, you know, where there's a big church I'm sending or where, you know, make a lot of money. But I'm, where I send you, I'm going, to, where, where I send you, I'm going to bring revival. So um, it would be four, six months later. I mean, the boys are not even one years old. Christmas time, we drive up north where Heather and myself kind of detested, um, you know, just growing up in, in the, it's, it's a rainforest. It really is. It's like, in fact, the first summer that I was here, two summers ago, I'm like, what is this fireball in the sky? Like, what is this? And I got addicted to it, and I dried out. I didn't realize how soggy I was. From, like, Kitimat and Terrace are two of the five, of the five rainiest places in Canada. And you just, everything rusts, and you rust, and um, it's, Kitimat has had four nice days this year. They want a refund on 2020 fully. That's what they said. They said, this sucks. <clears throat> anyway, so we did not want to go back there for many reasons. None I'm gonna, really going to get into. But um, the Lord called us there, and I said to Heather, like, wow, the Lord's calling us here. And... Uh, so uh, with a bit of, you know, uh, testing the, that out, 
the Lord proved himself faithful in that, in that word, and we went. And it was the greatest thing for us, for our kids, for me in the long run. And it was uh, a real testing ground for me. But revival came. And so I need to just tell you a little bit about that. Um, and so we moved in the fall of 97. When I did, all I can say is because I answered the call, um, a greater sense of the prophetic voice happened. I increased in my prophetic functioning, in the voice, uh, hearing the voice. My prophetic gifting went to the next level because I was obedient. And I started to see things, um, and it kind of tripped out Heather a little bit. She goes, why, why, why are you seeing these things? I said, I see this. She goes, you know, and I didn't know some history about Kidamet. I said, I see this. And Lord said, she goes, yes, you're absolutely right. Which I'm not going to get into. But it's, I saw some things, things woke up in me. And, um, and then a renewal happened in the church we were at. Like, um, I'll never forget the day, actually, Nicola was your dad, who was very nominal Christian at the time. Um, you know, I'll just say that anyway, but this move of the spirit came in and he looked and he was up on the stage this one. He goes, he goes, what is this renewal? He goes, this is amazing. The spirit of God started to descend and fall in this, uh, you know, little Pentecostal church. And, um, and it had gone through a couple few splits. I had a vision that the two former splits came together, came in the building and everyone made up. I, I saw it, and I saw it, so I planned it. I said, hey, we're going to do this thing. And, and uh, you know, when people are really close to the battle, they've been there a long time, you know, they're like, right, really, you saw that. You know, sometimes you're so in the battle, you, you know, get cynical. I said, no, well, I've seen it happening. They're going to come together. And people are like, well, and, you know, leadership said, go ahead, do it. They ain't coming. Um, and so what I did is I, I uh, stepped out in faith and I got a hold of the, the, the other two splits of these churches in the past because uh, I was new to town, so there was no offenses with us. And we made a band together, worship band, and we practiced 52 songs. And we had them, 26 in this, 26. We had 52 songs prepared for this night when all these people were coming that I was told was not going to happen. Um, but it happened, and there was no preaching. Um, the place, uh, this little church of, you know, 60, 70 people, um, that night swelled to 250. The balcony was full. Um, we did every song, all 52 songs, took us five and a half hours. All we did was kept singing and watching God at work. Um, unfortunately... Right after that night, it was so powerful after that, the move of God was thoroughly rejected. And, um, and then I started to fight with leaders there. And I, I think I've joked about it. I can write a book on what not to do and say. For, you know, church leadership. It was really a good training ground for me. But uh, in any case, um, I was so ticked off and just like, and fought with leaders there and just... Um, I got, I was so dry that I took off to a revival in Toronto that I was told not to go to because I would get demons. So, but I went anyway. Uh, that was a year after this, so January 99, I went. 
And um, I came back with a spirit of prayer. That spirit of prayer made me rent like rundown buildings and have prayer meetings there. And I, I've told most of you, I would, I would go to the 6 a.m. prayer meetings wherever they were, like they would move around and they were all old, just old white women um, that uh, in this house. And here I am, 30 years old, young guy come in, sit down and they're like, well, it's good to see a young man here. Just like, um, and I, I just started to just travail for the city and for revival. And, um, and uh, <clears throat> I also started a prayer meeting actually in the Pentecostal church there uh, three times a week at 6, 630 in the morning, me and my buddy. And uh, we would just pray. And um, yeah, that's early. And I didn't want to get it. One time I woke up, I'm like, I think 530, I am not getting up. No, I'm not doing this. <laughs> An angel comes to the door. I didn't see him. And he's, but he just comes to the doorway, Art. I'm like, I am up. I'm up. And just like, like it was a real voice. Like, oh, I was the scared. I, I'm awake. I don't need coffee. I was so scared. Just like, yes. And I just went. And we started praying. Now, what happened was... Um, I continued to fight um, with leadership there, and, and um, oh, yeah, I think I told some of you guys. Mm -hmm. uh, in, this was in 99, in 98, 99. In the year 2000, you know, um, everyone was just so dry in this church. And, and do you remember, or you ever been, maybe some of you haven't, uh, gone to church Sunday after Sunday, maybe God will show up. You're like, <gasps> and he doesn't, and he can, and people shut it down, and you know it, and you're ripped off, and you're just like, I want to fight somebody, um, and this just kept happening, and and so, uh, but we, I took twelve people, leadership, even the pastor, and I said, oh, well, let's just go to Toronto, guys. I was there; it's not a big deal, but as you know, it was a, it was an absolute zoo when we went. When I went, it was just a pastoral thing, pastors, leaders thing in in january and it was like it was it was you know it was a bit wild but nothing like we would experience at catch the fire in the year 2000 where 5,000 hungry mad people and just like every barnyard noise uh was loud and it was like but we went and we all got hit by the spirit of god and we came back and we split the church pretty much Pretty much split the church. And then, and so that didn't go so well. But I kept praying, and we would pray, and we would pray here, and we would pray there. And, um, and uh, in uh, April, March, April of 01, the Lord called us out, spoke to me and my wife the same morning, said, um, I, I, you are not going back there. And I was, I just said to the Lord, I have prayed here lots. I'm never leaving anywhere. I said, God, I'm never leaving this. I'm fighting and I'll fight them and I'll fight everyone and I'll fight whoever. And just like, and the Lord says, oh, and good, that's great. By the way, you're leaving, not coming back. And so I was just like, I was scared to tell Heather. Heather said, well, the Lord spoke that to me this morning. And so out of that, um, <clears throat> We, uh, we thought we were going to just leave, and we were just so ticked off. And, but 
we, we, ha- we started a home group uh, in the fall of 01, and with five of us, just five, and um, this really, this couple that was really bent out of shape about a lot of things that had a lot of issues, <laughs> oh. and this one guy who I won't say, and he had a lot of issues too, I'll just say that. And then me, I probably had a lot of issues too, me and Heather. So it was just a real Motley crew. It was like, wow, here's our home group. And um, <clears throat> well, did God not, did not God fall? And a month later, this girl comes and, and she gets saved and her friend gets saved the next week. And in a year and a half, 30 young people uh, get radically saved. I mean, we're delivering them of demons. We're doing, I think we did 58 baptisms in, in, in three years. And out of it, uh, and then in 03, we, we planted the church, the harvest. And, um, and like, I just watched God descend and do, rev- and it was just, it just birthed. And, and all the other churches were just like, they just, they wouldn't let us in the ministerial, wouldn't let us, like, you guys are just a glorified youth group. Um, and, but, rev- but, a, but a revival hit, a revival hit. And then in about five years later, I don't know, I think I was the longest standing pastor of the city. <laughs> uh, the Pentecostal church ended up leaving uh, in, o- in 01. One year later, they just shut the doors. And, uh, and, and I'm not saying that in a nice way. Um, it was actually kind of tragic. And, uh, and we did these festivals and I met Bill and we, we, we moved things and we had, you know, we did not fulfill all that we were supposed to actually there, but it was, wow, what a training ground for me. Now, why do I tell you that? And by the way, this is a place that it was a land of the leftover pastors is what they said. Because nobody wanted to go there. And everyone who went there got eaten up and spit out. Oh, it's so true. It was just like, um, and it was, a, it was a tough place. And family, our families were there, you know, so it was just tough and then tough and in the weather and that really sucked. It was just tough. And, um, but I got so on fire and when I, when I started to pray and we prayed, oh, and I remember, um, I get, we got called in to the office of the church because me and my buddy were in there at six in the morning, three times a week praying, right? But the hydro bill went up. That was a real no-no for the leadership of the church. They're like, can you explain this? Our hydro bill is up $100 a month because you guys are in here. And we don't like it. (laughs) Anyway, um, so, okay. Then, three years ago, the Lord calls me here. He called me here before John Perks invited me here. I told Heather that. And she goes, <laughs> we had just built our house. She goes, I'm, I'm not going anywhere. I don't blame her. Just like, no, I'm not going anywhere. We just built a house for mom and dad. 
Roberta, Roberta now lives with us? She goes, no. Like, what? Like, no. But I, unfortunately, I had, you know, and I always see, like, the way my prophetic gifting works is, like, tomorrow, tomorrow I'll see a little further than I do today. Like, it's like this, um, I walk, like, this is a two-year two mark. And as I go further in the month, I'll see, I see a little bit further. And what I stepped in today, I saw, this week with the Lord, I saw a little bit. And I'm like, and it reminded me of my journey, and it reminded me about the word of the Lord, which is where I send you, I'm going to bring revival. That wasn't just for Kitimat. And actually, when the Lord says, you're leaving, I say, why would I leave now? I've got a shop with a car lift. Right? Kevin, you, you understand, just like, I can't leave. I've got quads and I can quad for my own property. I've got a very comfy little church. I've got, we've got our own movie theater for our church. Like, my parents live in Terrace. They're still, like, Heather's parents are here. Like, God, what are you thinking? I says, and what could I do there? There's already people way more anointed and better than me and just like, they're doing so. What, what, you know, what would you, like, aren't I doing something now? And so the Lord gave me a vision, which he reminded me of this week. I think I've told some of you this, but for those who don't know, he goes, Art, so here's your life. And he showed me a little red wagon, and I was pulling a little red wagon, and it had all my stuff in it. And it had lots of stuff. It was just, it was all my stuff in miniature form, all my, my stuff in my life, and I had my church, and I, I had my mud truck that I built, uh, my sled, my quad. I had everything, and, and just, and, and all my, I, th I, I think I saw some notes. Just my life, and just like, here's, here's what you're doing, and then here's what I'm going to have you do. And he put this big steel harness, slipped it over me, and out of it popped two harrows, which are 40 feet long each, for plowing with big steel blades. Two harrows that way, so it's 80 feet. Two harrows that way, in a vision. So this is, what, this is what you were doing, you and your little red wagon. And this is you, thinking you're all that. And, and now, but here's what you're going to do. And these harrows, these furrows, big harrows, came out and dug in the ground. Big, stain, big like sharp steel discs like five feet tall, angled, just in the ground, just sunk, boom. And I started walking, and it was half overgrown fields, some trees and some rocks. And he showed me, and I started walking over, like these harrows, over trees, fields, and just like, and it made this huge swath of like um, perfectly uh, 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 torn up ground, Fallow ground was all torn up, and it was ready for seed, and it was just wide, and I was going walking effortlessly, and uh, here's, so here's what you're going to do, and I'm like, that doesn't even make sense, like, at all. Um, the Battle for Canada, going to North Battleford, going where we've gone, gone prophesying, dealing with some things, um, sins in the land, calling out for 
you know, I was excited in one way to go to North Battleford 70 years, because 70 years ago, it had been revival was there. I'm like, oh, God. And he says, okay, yeah, yeah, Art, before you ask me for what was here 70 years ago, deal with this. And so we've been dealing with that. And then we've, we've, we've built, you know, with 168 teams, a firewall. Um, and, but it's, I, I want to say to you guys, it is, it's not to just to be busy. It's not so that we can say on a resume, look, we put people in Prospera Place, or, oh, wow, we, we've got a 24-7, we're doing our religious duty, we've got an awesome firewall. This is for something. This is for something. And I don't know how long it's going to take, but I know that revival is imminent. Revival is coming. This is about revival and a salvation of souls because there are thousands, millions of souls in Canada that are in the valley of decision and many of them are dying. They're falling into eternity without Christ. And this is one of the main, very, if not the main thing on the heart of the Father that somebody pay the price for revival and, and go and get them. He wants to come. Now what I want to do... Though, I want to read a bit about revival. So I want, to, um, I want to show you something. Just a minute and a half clip, I think. We'll see if this works because it wasn't working last night. But I want to show you something from 200 years ago. Um, and what it was called, it was a Cane Ridge revival. Um, and I'll explain a little bit more about it. So go ahead, Jonathan. You can just play that. America's victory over the British in the Revolutionary War ushered in a time of expansion and prosperity. Settlers headed west to seek free land and a new life. As the population of the frontier grew, so did a sense of religious indifference. Circuit riders traveled hundreds of miles to reach these settlers, becoming the only church they knew. In 1800, Cane Ridge, Kentucky, took center stage as camp meetings turned into fiery church services. The preaching started at sunup and thousands prayed all night. Many people fell to the ground as the weight of their sins struck them down. Others sang and danced as they felt the presence of God in their midst. News of the meeting spread across the frontier. On August 6, 1801, Around 25,000 people came to Cane Ridge to pray for a touch from God. Soon, circuit riders traveled west, preaching and starting churches everywhere they went. Cane Ridge had become the birthplace for a great revival in the Wild West. So obviously, there's a whole lot more than just a little 90-second clip. And I'm not going to get into everything just about that revival. One thing about that revival, though, it was preceded with prayer. So what I want to, what I propose to Canada, this prayer is for something. Our repentance is for something. Um, the Holy Spirit is going to come after your hearts even more than he has. He wants you. He wants all of you. He wants uh, not just a better you. 
He wants all of your love and your affection. He wants a vessel that he can pray through and use uh, in, in various ways. And, there, and we could, as a charismatic ministry, fall so short, so easy, and, and just be busy doing stuff and miss what this is all about. So I want you to know that this has always been about revival. It's always been on my heart. And I want you to know that crazy things I do are for a per I'm trying to get somewhere. And I am willing to do 999 hours of work for one hour of glory. Because that one hour of glory could shift everything. Yeah. Everything. And if we got to go and, and do, you know, unite and repent with our French, the, the Quebecois, and, and we will. If we have to go to Toronto and, and do and, and, and uh, stand against something, we will. And it's all for something, though. It's all, it's, 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 it's for revival. And so my prayer is, God, would you come down in a hard way and lead and guide if we're going off in the wrong way or if we're just busy pulling our little red wagon? Amen. Having said that, my little red wagon, I learned a lot of stuff. I learned a lot what to do as well, like I said. <clears throat> but listen, that revival, it, it, it was so extraordinary that like people were scattered like you, you couldn't find, you know, uh, five families, five families in, in five miles because they were all scattered out a mile of like, like you couldn't see your neighbor and in, in, and with in short news to have 25,000 people come by wagon and horse and walking. A lot of them walked for only one weekend of meetings. The revival only lasted one week. Oh, but it birthed churches everywhere. And I mean, they didn't, they, they didn't know what to do. And people, you know, the spirit of God were falling on these nice ladies and girls, you know, with bonnets. And long and everything, and they were just falling out, like out, passed out, and people were making fun of them. And then the spirit of God would, this guy, this one guy, it's 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 in the history books. He was like making fun of them, and then something happened, and the spirit of God fell on him, and 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 he just tried to get it. He ran for the forest. He didn't get too far, and the spirit of God jumped all over him. But people were like um, in trees and stuff, and they were like. They're like, don't, don't go in the trees. And they're like, why? We need to hear. And then the preaching would start, and all of a sudden you'd hear. Because the Spirit of God, with the anointing, and they would pass out in the trees. And we like, we told you, don't go in the trees. You know, um, and preaching could be heard so far away with 25,000 people and no amplification. So they had all these pastors. They're like, well, there's nine of us. Why don't you just... And so they spread out through the vast crowd through the forest, and they would just preach all at the same time. It was gloriously, and it was, it was glorious, and it was messy. We'll talk about the mess some other time. <clears throat> but it, it ignited, and it got everyone back on track, because as it said, people were off track, and, and they had forgotten. And, 
it, God has been forgotten so much, and God is, we're, we're back. M much of Canada has forgotten about God, but there is an awakening. And I want you to be um, as, as, as dark as even our government is, and, and so on and so forth. There we're, we're, there's hope still. Let me tell you what happened 50 years later. Listen to this. I'm just going to read some stuff. Um, the American Revival, which is probably the greatest one of eight, 50 years later. 1857, uh, it was uh, at the time, and this is in the States, there was tremendous economic growth and prosperity. Uh, there was a population boom. Many people were becoming wealthy. The focus of many was on the world, and as a result, there was deep decline in spiritual life. Materialism had been, become a pervasive force throughout the land. Young people were growing up without God, and many were captivated by the love of money. Churches suffered serious decline in attendance. Now, something happened in New York. This story is about New York, but I'm going to try and blow through it. Population growth of New York City began to f force wealthy residents out of the downtown area where they were replaced by unchurched masses of working class and laborers. Many churches moved out of the city to accommodate their members, but in contrast to these churches in the... Uh, and to these churches, the North Dutch Reformed Church of Manhattan decided to stay and reach out to the lost masses. To accomplish this, the congregation employed a 48-year-old businessman, Jeremiah Lamphere, uh, as missionary to the inner city. Um, he was converted in 1942. This is in 47 and 57. His contemporaries characterized him as a tall man with pleasant face and affectionate manner and he was endowed with much tact and common sense um for years he had been under the preaching of uh, reverend james alexander 19th street presbyterian church um <clears throat> okay he began to uh visit homes distribute bibles and tracts and advertise church services but this was like these were all unchurched people people were just interested in money Spiritual decline was going way down. Facing discouraging responses, he found comfort in personal prayer himself, sensed God's guidance to begin weekly prayer service at noon for workers and business people to call upon God and call up for a spiritual awakening. He challenged these men who were in, on, engaged in thriving businesses to devote a portion of time, usually given a rest and refreshment at midday to devotional purposes. For many weeks, he handed out pamphlets stating the following. How often shall I pray? As often as the language of prayer is on my heart, as often as I see my need of help, as often as I feel the power of temptation, as often as I am made sensible in any spiritual declination to feel the aggression of a worldly, earthly spirit. Wow, this is on one, one pamphlet. In prayer, we leave the business of time for that of eternity and, uh, and intercourse with God. On the reverse of the pamphlet, it said, a day of prayer meeting is held every Wednesday, noon to one, at the con uh, consist consistatory building of the North Dutch Church, corner of Fulton and William Street. This meeting is intended to give merchants, mechanics, clerks, strangers, businessmen, generally an opportunity to stop and call on God amid the perplexities incident to their respect respective <laughs> avocations. It will continue for one hour. 
but it's designed for those who find it inconvenient to read. But it is designed for those who find it inconvenient to remain more than five or ten minutes, as well as for those who can spare a whole hour. Necessary interruption will be slight because anticipated. Those in haste often expedite their business engagements by halting to lift their voices to the throne of grace, uh, throne of grace in humble, grateful prayer. Okay, so this is a pamphlet that he hung out. I wouldn't go. Oh, just kidding. I might, I, but that was like. Of course, the language is a bit, a bit different in the Okay, anyway. So, attendance. Shortly before noon on Wednesday, September 23rd, 1957, Lanfear opened the doors of the Dutch Reformed Church in Manhattan. He waited in the upper room of the consistory building. Nobody came until around 1230. He heard the footsteps of a man climbing the stairs. A few minutes after that, more came until a total of six men representing five different denominations uh, had joined Lanfear to pray. The next Wednesday, between 14 and 20 people. Third week, the prayer meeting was attended by 20, 30 to 40 men. Meetings were so encouraging that it was decided that they should meet daily. The next day, attendance increased again. Soon they filled the Dutch Reformed Church building. The agenda was simple. They prayed for the salvation of souls. There was a communal singing and edifying exhortations were presented. There were no discussions. Uh, and those in attendance prayed by name for the souls of family members, neighbors, and co-workers. Then came the economic crash of 57, forced thousands of merchants into bankruptcy. Banks failed, and railway companies went under. In New York City alone, 30,000 people lost their jobs. In addition to the financial crisis, the nation was gripped by tensions over slavery, sh sharp dissension, and even civil war loomed on the horizon. Participation at the prayer meetings increased so much during this period that by mid-November, two lecture rooms had to be used and both were full. At the beginning of the following year, 58, the church was so crowded that an effort to accommodate the increasing numbers, three simultaneous prayer meetings were led in rooms on different floors in the same building. Many who attended did not profess to be religious, but came under the conviction of sin and began to look for a saving interest in Christ. Soon they started prayer meetings in other church buildings in downtown New York. In March of 58, a noontime prayer meeting was started in a large theater half an hour before the announced time. It was filled to capacity. Because the majority of the attendees were businessmen, they started prayer meetings in public buildings. Already in November of 1857, Theodore Kyler, pastor of 19th Street Church in New York, said he was struck by the earnestness of petitions for the descent of God's spirit in our, in, in our city churches. The newspaper editor, Horace Greeley, who worked for the New York Tribune, sent a reporter with horse and buggy to ride from one prayer meeting to the next to see how many men were praying. In one hour, he could only get to 12 meetings, but he counted more than 6,000 men. According to the same eyewitnesses, Within six months' time, whose noontime prayer meetings were attracting 10,000 businessmen, all of them confessing their sins and praying for revival. The landslide of prayer began. Other major cities of the U.S. followed. Soon a common midday sign on businesses would read, We will reopen at the close of the prayer meeting. Cities such as Cleveland and St. Louis, thousands of people packed downtown churches three times a day. 
just to pray. There were 6,000 people in attendance in Pittsburgh. Daily prayer meetings were held in Washington, D.C. at five different times to accommodate crowds. The New York Times, in an editorial dated March 20th, 58, stated the following about the revival. The great, a great wave of religious excitement, which is now sweeping over this nation, is one of the most remarkable movements since the Reformation. Travelers relate, travelers relate that in cars and in steamboats and banks and markets, everywhere through the interior, this matter is an absorbing topic. Churches are crowded. Bank directors' rooms become oratories. Schoolhouses are turned into chapels. Converts are numbered by the scores of thousands. In this city, we have beheld a sight which, is, which, which not the most enthusiastic fanatic for church observances could ever have hoped to look upon. We have seen in a business quarter of the city, in its busiest hours, assemblies of merchants, clerks, working men to the number of 5,000 gathered day after day for a simple solemn worship. Similar assemblies we find in other portions of the city. A theater is turned into a chapel. Churches of all sects are open and crowded by day and night. It is most impressive to think that over this great land, tens of fifties of thousands of men and women are putting themselves at this time in a simple, serious way. The greatest question that can ever come before human mind, what shall we do to be saved from sin? The effects were remarkable. Many ministers began having nightly services to lead men to Christ. People were converted at times 10,000 people a week in New York City alone. <sighs> Edwin Orr relates the story of visiting merchant to New York City who was selecting goods. When noon hour came, he requested the wholesaler to work through the noon hour so they would be able to return to Albany by evening riverboat. But the response was, no, I can't help that. I have something to attend to that is far more important than the selling of goods. I must attend the noonday prayer meeting. It will, it will close at 1 o'clock, and then I will fill out your order. They both attended the meeting, and the visiting merchant was converted. When he returned to Albany, he immediately started a noonday prayer meeting in that city. The revival movement spread throughout New England. Church bells would bring, bring people to prayer at 8 in the morning, at 12 noon, and at 6 in the evening. In Chicago, the churches had a waiting list for people who wanted to teach Sunday school classes. The revival spread all across America, and pastors were baptizing 20,000 people every week. <clears throat> Baptists reported that so many people had been baptized that they couldn't get them into the churches. So they went to the river in the cold of winter, cut out a square of the ice, and baptized people in the cold water. The revival spread like wildfire across the country. And the Bishop Charles McLevane, Bishop of the Episcopalian Church of Ohio, wrote, I rejoice in the decided conviction that this is the Lord's doing unaccountable by any natural causes, entirely above and beyond what any human device or power could produce, an outpouring of the Spirit of God upon God's people, quickening them to greater earnestness in His service, and upon the unconverted to make them new creatures in Christ. The, 1950, the 1857 revival is barely remembered today by secular historians. 
It was probably the greatest awakening ever experienced by the United States of America. It was estimated that in the period of 5859, one million people were converted from a population of less than 30 million. That's revival. Fifty years later, William Seymour and a small group of his new follower of new followers would. Oh yeah, this guy William Seymour, of course, a blind in one eye, black man in L.A. He was uh, he was an evangelist, but he got locked out of this church. They put the shackles, they put the big lock on because he was preaching about the infilling of the Spirit and speaking in tongues. But he didn't. They said, "Well, you don't." He goes, "But I know it's true." So they locked him out. After, and so him and his small group of, of new followers soon, because he had started to gain a bit of a following. He's a good preacher. And he goes, this is what we need. And they're like, you don't have it, though. So, yeah, they closed the church. Um, so he relocated to the home of Richard and Ruth Ashbury at 216 North Bonnie Bray Street, where, where uh, white families from local holiness churches began to attend as well. Because they were, his followers were all black. The group would get together regularly to pray to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. On April 9th, 1906, after five weeks of Seymour's preaching and prayer, and three days into an, extent, an, an intended 10-day fast, Edward S. Lee spoke in tongues for the first time. At the next meeting, Seymour's share, Seymour shared Lee's testimony and preached a sermon on Acts 2-4. And soon, six others began to speak in tongues as well, including Jeannie, Jeannie Moore, who would later become William Seymour's wife. A few days later, on April 12th, Seymour spoke in tongues for the first time after praying all night long. <coughs> all night long. News of the events at North Bonnie Bray Street quickly circulated among African-American Latino white residents of the city. For several nights, various speakers would preach to the crowds of curious, interested onlookers from the, fort per perch, from the front porch of the Asbury home. Members of the audience included people from a broad, broad spectrum of income levels, religious backgrounds. Hutchins eventually spoke in tongues. Oh, she right. Hutchins, um, um, uh, she was the one who locked, locked him out. She showed up. She spoke in tongues as her whole congregation began to attend the meetings. Soon the crowds became very large and were full of people speaking in tongues, shouting, singing, moaning. Finally, the front porch collapsed, <laughs> forcing the group to look for a new place, meeting place. A resident of the neighborhood described the happenings at 216 North Bonnie Bray with the following words. Here's a neighbor who watched this all from his front porch. They shouted three days and three nights. But it was Easter season. The people came from everywhere. By the next morning, there was no way of getting near the house. As people came, they would fall under God's power. The whole city was stirred. They shouted until the house, the foundation of the house gave way. But no one was hurt. <clears throat> In that revival, revival, um, a, 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 a young man who became a famous professor, Kenneth Scott Latourette, he reported at Yale in 1905, 20%, 5% of the student body were enrolled in prayer meetings and in Bible study. As far as the churches were concerned, the ministers of Atlantic City reported that a population of 50,000, there were only 
uh, 50 adults left unconverted. Take Portland, Oregon. 240 major stores closed from 11 to 2 each day to enable people to attend prayer meetings. Signing an agreement that, that, so that no one would cheat and stay open. Okay, we'll close, but you got to close too. Now take all the business. <laughs> take First Baptist Church of, of uh, Podek, Kentucky. The pastor, an old man, Dr. J.J. Cheek, took a thousand members of, in, in two months and, and, and died of overwork. The Southern Baptist sang a glorious ending to a devoted ministry. This is what was happening in the United States in 05, but how did it begin? Most people have heard of the Welsh Revival that started in 04, began as a movement of prayer. Oh yeah, 05, it was happening everywhere, and then they wanted more, and then it popped out in 06, which actually started the Pentecostal movement. Um, <clears throat> this is what was happening in 05, 06. How did it begin? How did it begin? Most people have heard about the Welsh Revival, which started in 04. It began as a movement of prayer. Seth Joshua, the Presbyterian evangelist, came to Newcastle, Emily College, where a former coal miner, Evan Evan Roberts, age 26, was studying for the ministry. The students were so moved, they asked if they could attend Joshua's next campaign nearby. So they canceled classes, and they went where they heard Seth Joshua uh, 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 prayed publicly, oh God, bend us. That was the prayer. Evan Roberts went forward and he prayed with great agony, oh God, bend me. Amen. Upon his return, he could not concentrate on his studies. He went to the principal of his college and explained, I keep hearing a voice that tells me I must go home and speak to our young people in my home church. Principal Phillips, <coughs> is that the voice of the devil or the voice of the spirit? Principal Phillips answered wisely, the devil never gives orders like that. You have a week off. So he went back home to uh, Lugar and, and, uh, and announced to his pastor, I've come to preach. The pastor was not convinced and asked, well, how about speaking at the prayer meeting on Monday? He did not even leave and let him speak at the prayer meeting, but told the people praying, our young brother, Evan, feels he has a message for you if you care to wait. 17 people waited behind, and we're all impressed with the directness of the young man's words. Evan Roberts told his fellow members, I have a message for you from God. You must confess any known sin to God and put any wrong done to others right. Second, you must put away any doubtful habit. Third, you must obey the Spirit promptly. Finally, you must confess your faith in Christ publicly. By 10 o'clock, all 17 had responded. The pastor was so pleased. He says, well, how about you speaking at our mission service tomorrow night, midweek service Wednesday night? He preached all week. He was asked to stay another week. Then the break came. Suddenly, dull, uh, 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 what's that word? Ecclesiastical columns in the Welsh papers changed. Great crowds of people drawn to uh, Lugor. The main road between Lanali and Swasana, which, on which the church was situated, was packed with people trying to get into the church. Shopkeepers closed early to find a place at the big church. The news was out. A reporter was sent down to describe vividly what he saw. A strange meeting which closed at 425 in the morning. And even then, people did not seem willing to go home. This, there was a very British summary. I felt that there was no, <laughs> very British summary. I feel that this was no ordinary gathering. You don't say. 
It's out of 425. It's not ordinary. Good. The next day, every grocery shop in the Industrial Valley was emptied of groceries by people attending the meetings. And on Sunday, every church was filled. The movement went like a tidal wave over Wales. In five months, there was 100,000 people converted through the country. 100,000 in five months in Wales, in England. Five years later, Dr. J. V. Morgan wrote a book to debunk the revival, though. The main criticism being that of 100,000 people joining the churches in five months of excitement, after five years, only 75,000 people still stood in the membership of those churches. Shame. (laughs) The social impact was astounding. Judges were presented with white gloves, not a case to try. No robberies, no burglaries, no rapes, no murders, no embezzlements, nothing. District councils held emergency meetings to discuss what to do with the police now that they were unemployed. As revival swept Wales, drunkenness, drunkenness was cut in half. There was a wave of bankruptcies, though, but nearly all of them were taverns. <laughs> there was even a slowdown in the mines, for so many Welsh coal miners were converted and stopped using bad language that the horses that dragged the coal trucks in the mines could not understand what was being said to them. I don't understand your nice language. I'm not moving until you cuss me out. I don't It's a true story. The revival also affected sexual moral standards. I discovered through the figures given by the British government experts in uh, legitimate birth rate dropped 44, illegitimate birth rates dropped 44%. Within the year of the beginning of the revival, the revival swept Britain, Scandinavia, Germany, North America, Australia, Africa, Brazil, Mexico, Chile. As always, it began through a movement of prayer. We share ordinary prayer in regular worship services before meals and the like. But when people are found getting up at six in the morning to pray or having half a night of prayer until midnight, or giving up their lunchtime to pray at noonday prayer meetings, that is extraordinary prayer. And it must be united and concerted. Of course, and then 50 years later, the North Battleford Revival. We're not going to go into that. We know quite a bit about that. We know, though, it was started with prayer and fasting. Just some Bible college students in Saskatoon that didn't, couldn't even focus on their studies, they got kicked out of the Bible college because all they wanted to do was pray and fast. So it's like, you can't do that here. So they went and found a place in North Battleford, a, um, a run-down, well, it was an orphanage now, it had been run-down um, training base for the Royal uh, Air Force, Canadian Air Force. And in the cloud room, that's all painted with clouds to, tra- to pr- train the pilots how to fly through clouds. The fire fell there, February 12th, 48, after fasting and prayer. And of course, a year later, the Hebrides-Lewis revival. I'm going to read a bit here more. Um, I know we're very often done at 8, but you know what? If you want to go, you guys, you you, you can go. I feel I'm supposed to bring this. I feel that something needs to be done to your soul. To your heart. And to your mind. 
there are two things I'd like to say in about the speaking of the revival of the Hebrews. And this is uh, Duncan Campbell speaking. First, I'd like to make it perfectly clear that I did not bring this revival. Do you say Hebrews? Hebrides, that's it, yeah. The Hebrides. It has grieved me beyond words to hear people talk and write about the man who brought the revival to the Hebrides. Dear people, I did not do that. Revival was there before I set foot on the island. It began as a gracious awareness of God sweeping through the parish of Barvas. I'm not going to read the whole thing. It's just a chunk of it, though, just the beginning. This is uh, Duncan Campbell. Then I would like to make it perfectly clear that what I, am, what I understand of revival, when I speak of revival, I'm not thinking of high-pressure evangelism. I am not thinking of crusades or special efforts convened and organized by men. And by the way, I want to say something about this. So we've done a couple outreaches. Of, I want to take revival out there. I do want to take evangelism. That's what it's for. Yes, we're doing a going away party for Art and Gwen. Um, we're, we're doing music. We're drawing people. And we, need, we, we want you engaged. And I feel that, you know, like Smith Wigglesworth, that healing evangelist, this is what he said. He goes, if God is not moving, I will move him. That's not arrogance. He knew who he was. And he was a friend of God. And we need, you to, we, need you to, we need you to not just be spectators. And we need you, some, we need you to move and do something uh, in the area of evangelism. And just reach out to people. And there very often the anointing is. Or you might just want to help set up and do stuff. Because not everyone has the same voice and giftings. And I get that. But we're doing it for a reason. Okay? <clears throat> and in time we'll do it. We're just getting our feet wet in this, even as a congregation. You know, I just bought a board for just outreaches, music, and, you know, and it's work, but one soul is worth it, I will just say. <clears throat> okay. <clears throat> We're not talking about high-pressure evangelism. That's not on my mind at all. Revival is something altogether different from evangelism on its highest level. Revival is a moving of God in the community, and suddenly the community becomes God, becomes God conscious, conscious before a word is said by any man representing any special effort. Now, until that happens, we're still going to do what we do. Though. At this point, but maybe there might come a time where it's just like God says, shut it down and just wait on me, okay? Like, don't go and do any more big buildings. Don't do that. I've heard you just wait now. I, I, I don't, I, I'm open. <clears throat> now, I'm sure that you will be interested to know that in November of 1949, this gracious movement began on the island of Lewis, Two old women, one of them 84 years of age and the other 82, uh, one of them stone blind, were greatly burdened because of the appalling state of their own parish. Parish is a community. It was true that not a single young person attended public worship. Not a single young man or woman went to church. They spent their day perhaps reading, reading or walking but the church was left out of the picture, and those two women were greatly concerned as they made it a special matter of prayer. A verse gripped them. I will pour out water on him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. 
They were so burdened that both of them decided to spend so much time in prayer twice a week. Say twice a week, that's not a big deal. But on Tuesday, they got on their knees at 10 o'clock in the evening and remained there on their knees until 3 or 4 in the morning. Two old women in a very humble cottage. One night, one of the sisters had a vision. Now remember, in revival, God works in wonderful ways. A vision came to one of them, and in the vision, she saw the church of her fathers crowded with young people, packed to the doors, and a strange minister standing in the pulpit. She was so impressed by the vision that she sent for the parish minister. And of course, he, knowing the two sisters, knowing that they were two women who knew God in a wonderful way, he responded to their invitation and calling at the cottage. That morning, one of the sisters said to the minister, you must do something about it. And I would suggest that you call your office bearers together that you spend with us at least two nights in prayer in the week. Tuesday and Friday, if you gather your elders together, we can meet you in a barn, uh, a farming community. You can meet in a barn, and, and, uh, and, and as you pray there, we will pray here. Well, that was what was happened. That's what happened. The minister and his office bearers together, and seven of them met in the barn to pray on Tuesday and on Friday. And the two old women got on their knees and prayed with them. Well, that continued for some weeks. Indeed, I believe almost a month and a half, until one night. Now, this is what I'm anxious for you to get a hold of. One night, they were kneeling there in the barn, pleading the promise. I will pour out water on him that is thirsty. Floods upon the dry ground. When one young man, a deacon in the church, got up and read Psalm 24, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He is that clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul in vanity or sworn deceitfully. He shall receive the blessing, not, not a blessing, but the blessing of the Lord. Then that young man closed his Bible, and looking down at the minister and the other office bearers, he said, this may be crude words, but perhaps no, not so crude in our Gaelic language. He said, it seems to me to be so much humbug to be praying as we are praying, to be waiting as we are waiting, if we ourselves are not rightly related to God. Then he lifted his two hands. And I'm telling you, just as the minister told me it happened, he lifted his two hands and prayed, God, are my hands clean? Is my heart pure? But he got no further. That young man fell to his knees and fell into a trance. Now don't ask me to explain this because I can't. He fell into a trance and is now lying on the floor of the barn. In the words of the minister, and at that moment, he and his other office bearers were gripped by the conviction that God, uh, that a God-sent revival must ever be related to holiness, must ever be related to godliness. Are my hands clean? Is my heart pure? The man that God will trust with revival, that was the conviction. When that happened in the barn, the power of God swept into the parish. And as an awareness of God gripped the community such as hadn't been known for over a hundred years. As awareness of God, that's revival. That's revival. And that following day, the looms were silent. Little work was done on the farms. As men and women gave themselves in thinking on eternal things, gripped by eternal realities. Now, I wasn't on the island when it happened, but again, one of the sisters sent for the minister, and she said to him, I think you ought to invite someone to the parish. I cannot give a name, but God must have someone in mind, for we saw a strange man in the pulpit, and that man must be somewhere. 
Well, the minister that week was going to one of our great conventions in Scotland. At that convention, he met a young man who was a student in college. Knowing that this young man was a God-fearing man, a man with a message, he invited him to the island. Won't you come for 10 days, a 10-day special effort? We have, we have had so many of them over the past couple of years, but we feel that something is happening in the parish, and he would like you to attend. The minister said, no, I don't feel I'm the man. Quite recently, there has been a very remarkable move in Glasgow under the ministry of a man named Campbell. I would suggest that you send for him. Now, at that time, I was in college in Edinburgh. It wasn't very easy for me to leave, but it was decided that I should go for 10 days on the island within, I was on the island within 10 days. I shall never forget the night that I arrived at the piers in the mail steamer. I was standing in the presence of the minister whom I'd never seen and two of his elders I'd never knew. The minister turned to me and said, I know, Mr. Campbell, that you're very tired. You've been traveling all day by train to begin and now by steamer, steamship. I'm sure that you're ready for your supper, ready for bed. But I wonder if you would be prepared to address a meeting at the parish church at 9 o'clock tonight on our way home. It will be a short meeting. And then you will make for uh, the house and you'll get your supper and your bed and rest until tomorrow evening. Well... It will interest you to know that I never got that supper, he said. We went to the church about quarter to nine to find 300 people gathered. I would say about 300. I gave an address. Nothing really happened in the service. It was a good meeting. I sent a, a sense of God, a consciousness of the spirit moving, but nothing beyond that. So I pronounced a benediction and we were leaving the church, I would say about a quarter to 11. Just as I'm walking down the aisle, Along with this young deacon who read Psalm, the Psalm in the barn, he stood, suddenly stood in the aisle looking up to heaven as he said, God, you can't fail us. God, you can't fail us. You promised to pour water on the thirsty and floods upon dry ground. You cannot fail us. So he on his knees in the aisle, and as he is praying, then he falls into a trance again. Just then the door opened. It's now 11 o'clock. The door of the church opens and the local blacksmith comes into the church and says, Mr. Campbell, something wonderful has happened. Oh, we were praying that God would pour water on thirsty grounds. And listen, he's done it. He's done it. When I went to the door of the church, I saw a congregation of approximately 600 people. That very, very, 600 people. Where did they, they come from? What had happened? I believe that that very night God swept in Pentecostal power, the power of the Holy Ghost, and what happened in the early days of the apostles was now happening in the parish of Barvaz. Over 100 young people were at a dance in the parish hall, and they were not thinking of God or eternity. God was not at all in their thoughts. They were to have a good night when suddenly the power of God fell upon the dance. The music ceased, and in a matter of minutes, the hall was empty. They fled from the hall as a man fleeing from a plague. As they may, and they made for the church. They are now standing outside. Oh, yes, they saw lights in the church. That was a house of God. They were going, going in, and they went. Men and women who had gone to bed arose, dressed, made for the church. Nothing in the way of publicity. No mention of a special effort except uh, an intonation from the pulpit on the Sabbath. Certain man was going to be conducting a series of meetings covering 10 days. But God took the situation in hand and he became, became his own publicity agent. 
a hunger and thirst gripped the, the people. 600 of them are now at the church, standing outside. This dear man, the blacksmith, turned to me and said, I think that we should sing a psalm. And they sang, and they sang, and they sang, verse after verse. Oh, what singing, what singing. When the doors were opened, the congregation flocked back into the church. Now the church was crowded. A, a church to seat over 800 is now packed to capacity. It's now going towards midnight. I managed to make my way through the crowd along the aisle to the pulpit. I found a young woman, a teacher in grammar school, laying prostrate on the floor of the pulpit, praying, Oh God, is there mercy for me? Is there mercy for me? She was one of the ones at the dance, but now she's laying on the floor of the pulpit crying to God for mercy. That continued until 4 o'clock in the morning. I could not tell you how many were saved that night. But of this I am sure and certain that at least five young men who were saved in the church that night are today ministers in the Church of Scotland, having gone through university and college. At 4 o'clock, we decided to make for, the, for, 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 for home. Of course, you understand, we make no appeals. We made no appeal. You never need to make an appeal for an altar call and revival. Why the roadsides became an altar. We just leave men and women to make their own way to God themselves. After all, that is the right way. God can look after his own. Oh God. And when he, God takes situation in hand, I tell you he does a better work. So we left there, and just as I was leaving the church, a young man came to me and said, Mr. Campbell, I would like you to go to the police station. I said, police station? What's wrong? He said, no, there's nothing wrong. There must be at least 400 people gathered there. Right now, the sergeant there was a God-fearing man. He was in the meeting, but people knew that this was a house uh, where they got, feared God. And next to the police station, there was a cottage in which the two old women lived. I believe that something had to do like a magnet, that, the, that, a power that drew men. There was a coach uh, load at the meeting. The coach, a coach load had come over 20 miles to be there, the load of people. Now, if anyone would ask them today, why? How did it happen? Who arranged it? They could not tell you. But they found themselves grouping together and someone saying, what about going to Barvas? I don't know. I have a hunger in my heart to go there. I can't explain. I can't explain it, but God had the situation in hand. This is revival, dear people. This is a sovereign act of God. This is the moving of God's spirit. And I believe an answer to prevailing prayer of men and women who believe that God is and was a covenant-keeping God, and he must be true to his covenant engagement. I was actually going to preach on prayer and, 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 and the Lord led me here, but it's tied together. And I know we're praying in Canada. I know that many of you are praying. It's like, well, I'm doing my hour on the wall. And I know that some of you, the few of you, you're on at noons uh, on the fire, BC firewall and there's three days now. But many of you are not. And I want you to know that nothing 
that God really wants to do is going to happen without prayer. This is not a point to finger thing at all. At all. And like, and I, 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 I used to say things that sometimes would get me in trouble. I still do. Um, one of them was I told our Kitimat crew like 15 years ago, it was like, and I had a conviction. If, 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 if you are not in the house of prayer, I cannot trust you. Well, people didn't like that. And then I was listening to Bill Johnson preach this, this week, and he goes, you know, if they're not in the house of prayer, I can't really trust you. I'm like, oh, I'm allowed to say it. But what is, it, what is unto if, not, if we will not take time to humble ourselves or pray for Canada? How can, why would God move if we're not standing up for our, own, for our own self? If we've got this arrogance, like, I'm good. I'm, I'm good. I'm okay. I, don't, I want more. I want the blessings of God. But no, he is holy. And he, he does want to pour out. And he does want to answer hunger. He does want to answer prayer. And I'm just telling you, Canada, we're on the right track, but we're not there yet. And even this congregation, we are going to be kicking up Tuesday night prayer again in, in, in the next couple of weeks. We're working on that. We said we're going to do it in the fall. And we're going to, I'm going to continue to build noon hour prayer for, for the province and stuff. And, and, and yeah, and I'm going to continue to encourage people to get on the firewall. Of course, this will never take place of your own prayer time. And you know what? And there, there is, there is a critical mass that God needs for revival. There is. Bill preached the other week a really good message about a victory. Jonathan got a victory. Okay, those, those battles are cool and you can have your own personal victory and you, when everyone else is not being, uh, being scared and not moving and you can win a great victory in your own life, your family, or church, that's good. But I know that there's a critical mass needed for the revival that God wants to do. And we're on the right track, but we're not there yet. And I want to pray for you that God will not let you go until you answer the call and you get there. And I don't know what it looks like for you. I'm not going to necessarily tell you what it looks like. But for some of you, it, 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 for, for, no, I'm not even going to say. I want to, I want to pray for a conviction and for a hunger and for a desire for what God, because God, he's, he's done it. He's always answered prayer. And he shifted things. And I'm going to tell you, you know, there is war coming. There's a war coming and that we need to be ready. And revival is the answer. Revival is the answer for everything. Just before I do, do we got, I just want to blow through a, a few of these, just some of the, some different uh, quotes from some revival guys. Um, or do you not have them? No, yeah, or you do? They Charles Finney, the first step is a deep repentance, a breaking down of heart, getting down into the dust before God with deep humility and forsaking of sin. That doesn't fly a lot with people anymore. They're like, that's too rough. Well, I'm just going to tell you, that's who God was then. That's who God is now. Let's go to the next one. Every true revival has its earthly origin in prayer. Next. 
The one concern of the devil is to keep Christians from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, and prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil, mocks at our wisdom, but trembles when we pray. Next. In revival, you get a curious, strange mixture, as it were, of great conviction of sin, but yet great joy. Great sense of the terror of the Lord and great thanksgiving and praise. It's wonderful. It's amazing. It's just like when true revival hits. Next. At the heart of every revival is a spirit of prayer. Next. Sunday morning Christianity is the greatest hindrance to true revival. Ooh. I put in my hour. I signed up. I was here Saturday and Sunday. Leave me alone. The coming revival must begin with a great revival of prayer. If it is in the closet with the door, it is in the closet with the door shut, that sound of abundance rain will first be heard. An increase of secret prayer with ministers will be a sure harbinger of blessing. Next. Charles Spurgeon. A church should be a camp of soldiers, not a hospital of invalids. Whoa. Did I read this one? But there is exceedingly much difference between what ought to be and what is. And consequently, many of God's people are so in, in such a sad state that the very fittest prayer for them is for revival. We'll stop there. I'm going to say we did not fulfill. I didn't. I know what God showed me even for Kitimat, and we didn't. There was people, they fell off. They didn't want to pray. They's like, we're not into that. We're not spending any time in the house of prayer and stuff. And, and, and they just didn't. And they just, and I just watched things fall apart for them. And just like, and they grew hard of heart. And they just started to eat one another and eat me and just like, or try to. And, and, and it just didn't, it just didn't go well. You know, I learned a lot. I love the people there, but, but I'll tell you, things are just really, it's not gone well for, for a lot of people there. A lot of people just backslid and you heard the story about my own daughter and stuff and just like, but you know what? Um, we're here. I'm here. Me and my wife are here now. Uh, Kidmat, they've got a great little group going on and they're rewriting their own destiny and it's great. But what about here? What about here? And um, what's going to happen here? What's going to happen? Are we going to allow the God to bend us? Like Evan Roberts said, oh God, bend me. Father, tonight I, I pray that you would bend us. I do pray that you would pour out on dry ground, but I pray for dry ground. That people would recognize their need and their dryness. And I pray for a spirit, a revival of prayer that you would have to answer. I thank you for the Canadian firewall. I thank you for the intercessory teams that are rising. I thank you for the faithful few who are praying and standing in the gap. But Father, even for me, 
Oh, yes, for me, that you would bend me, God. Bend us all. And these two old women who you answered the prayer in the, he- the Hebrides as they would pray until 3, 4 in the morning, oh, God, raise up prayer like that in Canada. Prayer that you will answer, that you have to answer. Prayer that you have to answer like in North Battleford with those kids fasting in prayer. Prayer that you answered at the Bonnie Bray House and Azusa Street. Prayer that you answered in the Cane Ridge that would bring you down, that you would just come down sovereignly, that we wouldn't just have good meetings, but we would have revival. True revival. We want revival and nothing less. And Father, for this ministry, for Kelowna Harvest Fellowship, and whatever it's supposed to be, whatever it is going to be, for our ministry in the nation, I pray that you would not let us go on in any type of success without true revival. Father, I give you permission to blow the whole thing up. I would rather have it blown up and be faced with reality that we don't really have you then go on for 10 years and think that we've done something while we lose thousands and millions of souls. We want revival. And we give you permission to come and steer this ship. And we ask for a spirit of prayer to hit every single one of us. I think this is why even the Lord really showed me again my little red wagon but God really does want us to actually really tear up some stuff and we're not there yet 
Well, I'm going to just say you're dismissed. You can just hang out for a bit. Um,